0: So Brett, do you have a favorite dystopia? Um I I don't know if I like
1: how do you mean favorite? Like favorite as in one that I would want to live in or one that I feel is the most like the one I live in?
0: Hmm, that's a good question.
1: Yeah, I feel like the one I I the the one that reflects how I feel. The most is um Brazil and just that bureaucratic level of one typo, one place can have this butterfly effect that's like can destroy your entire life. Um I think that movie is amazing. But I'll have to think about like what types I prefer. i probably like a Borgian. I'm in, you know, I'm into the U Social Phase 4 insect. So right, I, right, I like that bohemian level. I'm like, yeah, let's all just fucking hook up our brains. Who cares?
0: Yeah, you like your dystopia with a taste of apocalypse. Yeah. Uh, how about you? Um, you know, for me, it's really uh, I, I like. Like the sort of absurd type of dystopian setup, but I've always just been a fan of uh, 1984. Or I like the idea of you don't realize that you're in a dystopia uh, like they live. Yeah. And then you realize the truth of where you are. Uh, I think I like The Giver, Jesus. The Giver is like that. I mean, I I feel like a ton of kids were made to read The Giver growing up. And yeah, it's about somebody who figures out pretty quickly that he's actually in a dystopian society. Ooh, or another one. I'm probably spoiling a bunch of movies here. <laughs> so, I mean, I well, you would know this if you're already a listener of this podcast, but... Dystopia movie, The Village. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. yeah. I think, dy- I think, dystopia and The Village kind of go hand in hand as terms of like that's one of the selling points. Is it is a a weird place and time, and it's something shady for something other than a monster. Yeah. <gasps>
0: Oh, I know my favorite dystopia. I mean, I love Mad Max as much as the next gal, but actually the dystopia depicted in Horizon Zero Dawn, where the world is overrun with machines and humans go back to their tribal roots. Yeah. It's pretty awesome.
1: I I would say the, the difference between dystopia and mad max and like the post-apocalyptic the difference for me is dystopia is like right on the verge of like things are about to collapse dystopia Ah. is where is where the jenga tower is super leaning but you still got some moves mad max is the the jenga tower has crumbled and now everyone is trying to gather resources so that they can make their their own tallest tower
0: um, uh, I think that's an important distinction. I I get what yeah. you're saying. There's a there's an order to dystopia, but it's a corrupt order.
1: Exactly. Yes.
0: All right. Well, shall we add two and two and get five?
1: Can't wait. Let's do it.
0: necromancer necromancer my name is Shira, and i'm a fan of romantic comedies
1: my name is brett and i am a fan of horror movies
0: if this is your first time listening to necromancer you should know that each week we pick a horror movie or a romance movie based on a theme and then what do we do we flip-flop those movies and we turn the horror into a romance and the romance into a horror Today's topic is dystopia.
1: Yes, and I am so excited.
0: I am too. I, I feel like these these two movies were a lot of fun. I think they, they had two very different takes on dystopia. And I also think that both of these movies are perfect representations of our individual tastes in movies. I think that you and I like some really popular movies. And and I think that we're not snobs when it comes to the movies we like, but there are just some movies out there that are so peculiar that you kind of feel like you could be the only person in that theater watching that movie and loving it. Uh, And I could see that situation for both of these movies where you would be the only guy at the middle, the matinee showing of Split Second, and you're just loving it. Or I'm at a, at a showing at the Draft House of The Lobster, and I'm laughing at all the moments where people aren't saying anything.
1: <laughs> yeah. I have to say one of my best movie theater experiences was going to Fantastic Fest and just being, like, I volunteered there. So at the end of the night, you get to go watch whatever movie is playing last. Like you have, you know, you ask permission, but normally they're like, yeah, that's fine. It's the last movie of the night. Go, go for it. But you still have to like, you have, they, they basically pick the movie for you. Um, And so there was one where I was like, hey, I'll just take whatever movies open. And they're like, all right, go see this movie called One Cut for the Dead. And I went to go see it and... I have not recommended it as a love bite because I'm, I'm, I'm saving on on to this movie for a special occasion, like a two year anniversary or something like a big, uh, a, a big milestone moment. Because after that movie ended pretty much no one in the, in the theater knew what it was, but after the movie ended, everyone just looked to the person next to them and was like, yeah, we're on the same page. That movie fucking kicked ass. And I never talked to strangers in movies like that. But I turned to the guy next to me and I said, holy crap, did you just see the same movie that I saw? And he went, holy crap, that was amazing. Like, you know what I mean? So, yeah, when you can get a whole theater full of those people all together, when you can get a theater full of Bretts, that's a good time. But, um.
0: I've never been to a theater full of she Like, my experience <laughs> is kind of the opposite. So I've mentioned to you before, I'm a big fan of Jim Hosking, and mm. I went to go see The Greasy Strangler in theaters, and I thought this movie was hilarious. And I think I've mentioned it in A Love By previously, An Evening with Beverly Loft-Lynn, also hilarious. But when I went to go see the movie, it was crickets, and I was the only one laughing hysterically at this movie. And I felt like a total creep because there were there was only one me in that theater, and I I wish I'd gotten to see that movie with someone who is like I get it, I'm into this same kind of manic, absurd energy.
1: Yeah, I hear you, because I have been the one person in a theater who's thoroughly enjoyed something that clearly everyone else is snoozing through. (laughs) But um, yeah, I don't know what the equivalent is, but yeah, Fantastic Fest. That was one of the reasons why I moved to Austin, was like I heard reviews about these movies like John Wick and Dread, just these glowing reviews. And I'm like, these movies aren't going to be that good. And then, like, 20 20 minutes into both movies, I'm like, holy shit, the hype is real. Buckle up. Hold on to your lug nuts. It's time for an overhaul. Like, yeah. So, yeah.
0: I think that's fair. So, question for our first half episodes only. Which movie do you want to start with?
1: I'm ready to just go right out of the gate with Split Second.
0: Yeah, let's do it. Let's get into it. Uh, Rudger, I hardly know her. (laughs) So tell me about Split Second and how you got to this movie, because it was you who suggested dystopia, and I imagine so that we could watch Split Second.
1: Yeah. Uh, So yeah, I I talk about Eastern movies with uh, a coworker of mine. And so if you listen to the podcast regularly, you know that I recently suggested Man with the Iron Fist, which is the Riz's directorial debut, which is a Kung Fu movie. So I asked my coworker, hey, have you seen this movie? And he said no. And of course, anytime we talk about Eastern cinema, Zatoichi gets brought up. (laughs) And so Zatoichi- Oh, my mom is
0: a huge, I've mentioned it before. My mom's a huge Zatoichi fan. She has every single Zatoichi movie. And
1: so- he he whenever zatoichi gets brought up he always mentions blind fury which is the the western take on zatoichi uh rucker howard plays a vietnam vet or korean war vet who gets blinded and then he gets a sword he trains he comes back to america and it's kind of like hijinks 80s hijinks ensue it's very like zadoichi meets short circuit like it's just very cheesy and that's eight. an
0: interesting combo
1: it's very interesting so i was like man but rucker hower fucking crushes it in that movie so i just went on to amazon prime what's next what's got rucker hower split second holy shit so i mentioned to my coworker, blind fury and split second rucker hower holy shit like i knew he was good but i'm really starting to appreciate the nuances and then he said uh, wanted Dead or Alive Watch that movie I recently recommended that movie Amazing So I'm like on this Rucker Hauer Action energy Proto matrix cyberpunk kick And I, I looked up Where can I find more movies like this And every internet thing I found Was like split second Nemesis hand in hand um, And so it was like yeah If you like Deep Impact. You're gonna like Armageddon. If you like this movie, you're gonna like. You know, Matrix and Dark City both came out at the same time, uh, within a year of each other, and so like, yeah, they. It's these two crazy movies just happen to explode at the same time. Uh, I think it's crazy. So
0: I love Rutger Hauer. He's not a man. He's a force.
1: Yeah, I agree. <laughs>
0: All right, so let's get into it. Let's get into split second and find out which dystopia we're living in here. (laughs) Uh, So this dystopia, very possible, is a future after global warming has basically put the world into perpetual night and constant flooding. Uh, And Harley Stone played by Rudger Hauer, is a detective with a chip on his shoulder because a serial killer murdered his partner while he was having an affair with the partner's wife.
1: Uh, And it's also not so much a chip on his shoulder as much of like a chunk clawed out of his shoulder.
0: <laughs> oh, I forgot about that detail. Yes, right. that's actually true. It's more than just a chip. It's an actual monster claw swipe he has been uh mutilated and also one of my favorite lines in the beginning of this movie because same is he runs on anxiety caffeine and chocolate
1: yeah that is that he he is a machine and so what's like, more a,
0: relatable than that
1: when you go to the gas station you fill up your machine with the things it needs to run. And he his body is a machine that just runs on this gasoline of junk food.
0: But specifically sugar
1: right. and chocolate. Coffee. I,
0: yeah, i There's one scene later that I found absolutely astounding. And I didn't know if this was a future thing or just the fact that um Rudger Hauer is is a hobo cop. I don't know. <laughs> he, right. He, he's really not he he plays a very kooky guy in this movie. But
1: also he plays the kind of guy who when the partner comes out, the partner's very straight laced. But when Rucker Hauer walks into the BDSM club at the beginning, no one bats an eye.
0: Well Except he's also for the where... fact
1: that he's flagged his he's he's flashed his badge. Other than that, you wouldn't really tell That he's there to bust you in particular. You can tell he's there because trouble has drawn him in. Not that he's trying to cause it.
0: It was totally unclear to me why he was in that nightclub. But our first view of Rutger... Because that's where the
1: monster wanted to kill the lady.
0: The monster wanted (laughs) to bring him into a public place but he didn't know like he even says it himself he doesn't even know why he was there like he didn't know that the monster was going to be there but, but he felt it we, in his
1: heart he felt it but he didn't know why <laughs>
0: that's he's got the psychic connection you're laughing at me but that's specifically no, what the No movie we're, tells no us. we're gonna, we're going to we're going to get to it i know that we know <laughs> that we learn very quickly that he's there because of intuition, which I do, I do appreciate a movie that puts a premium on intuition as, as sort of his power versus like, he's not an intellectual. He's not book smart like Durkin. He's purely intuitive in the way that he investigates. And it's, you know, intuition is a feminine art. So, you know, Rutger Hauer is very much in touch with that, even as he's super masculine. But what I was going to say is that your first image of him, he's wearing leather pants, leather lace-up knee boots, and he a leather jacket, of course. And then he puts on these round red sunglasses and starts puffing on a cigarillo, um, but he basically looks like the lead singer of a German industrial rock band.
1: Yeah, a hundred percent.
0: and it's great. I I actually love those glasses. He kind of reminds me of this guy from KMFDM. But yeah, it, it was very, it was very much like industrial. So like, yeah, this dystopia. Well, everybody's into whips and chains, and there's water everywhere, and it's always night. So it's perfect for this kind of noirish take. I, I do, I do like the moodiness of the setting.
1: I I will say because you, you kind of set it up perfectly with that, is this movie feels to me like a DNA movie. And by that I mean it's like a, a missing link movie that fits into the DNA of what makes a quote-unquote Brett movie. And mm-hmm. and
0: that is... Like Dark Man, right? Isn't it dark all the time in that movie? Yeah, but yeah, so it's like... It's that like, movie with Rufus Sewell where it's night all the time, too. Yeah, Dark City, yep. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, I get Dark Man and Dark City confused sometimes.
1: That makes sense. The, I, I can see that that tracks. But this movie is like it's not only influenced by movies that I love that came before it, but it's influenced movies since that I've already seen, and I and it will be an influence in the stuff I create. So it's got a hat trick of this DNA meld. And the crazy thing is, is like, it's been there the whole time. It was just sitting there waiting for me to watch it.
0: <laughs> That's so cute. That's very romantic. And I do think that later in this movie, you'll see that there's something that would, well, I think it'll be immediately recognizable. Or you would get, you would feel this reference uh, for anybody, like comic fans or Venom fans, um, just to, to tease what we're yeah. getting into here. Um, anyway, so Harley Stone dressed up to go to the BDSM club. Uh, the killer that killed his partner hasn't struck in years, I believe. But then on this night, uh, <laughs> it happens that the killer slays a woman in the bathroom and writes in blood on the mirror. I'm back. Awesome. And then Stone goes outside to find the killer because he's able to hear his heartbeat. I don't know if that's just like psychically he can hear the heartbeat, um, but he can't find them. So then later the police assign Dick Durkin a risk assessing crime profiler to Stone as a partner, thus beginning their buddy cop relationship which i turned romantic in my remake by the way
1: yeah this this rom- this friendship between these two is better than some of the rom-coms that we've seen um, i wouldn't
0: go that far you're allowed to say that but i'm not going to say i that. didn't
1: say all
0: It was easy to turn into a romance. It was easier to turn into a romance than to flesh out his story with Michelle.
1: I'm not going to say all, and I'm not going to say, like... I. I You're not going to name names? Say their names! But I will say, like, I I think my record here on the podcast... It's Notting Hill, isn't it? (laughs) I think my record here on the podcast speaks for itself. We're like, (laughs) there are some typical rom-com movies that we've seen... Where it's like, yeah, this movie's really cute. This movie's really fun. This is a really well made movie. But when you look at the spattering of junk rom coms out there, because trust me, there's a lot of junk horror out there, a lot, way more than there is junk rom com. Uh, but like this, this romance, this friendship in this movie is something that I think a lot of rom coms try for.
0: Well, you know what dynamic this is, and it's one of my favorite ones, the grumpy one and the sunshiny one.
1: Yes, but we'll we'll, we'll get into it later. Uh, but yes, Mr. But, grumpy and Mr. Sunshine.
0: Yeah. yeah, Mr. Grumpy and Mr. Sunshine. Um, and so, of course, they do not get along at first. Um, But they're stuck together and things escalate when the first victim's heart is delivered to the station with bite marks in it. Very seven. Uh, And Durkin and Stone then go back to the first crime scene. So Stone can basically lay in the chalk outline and, and sense the crime scene. Uh, and they get a call that there's been another crime, and so they head to that location where they see on the ceiling the symbol for Scorpio has been drawn.
1: Wow. How crazy, right?
0: Very crazy. Very proto-7. So this, this serial killer, he's doing Hannibal TV stuff.
1: Yes, but the, I'm so glad you brought up Hannibal TV stuff because when I read the description for this movie, the description was dystopian, water-filled, dark London. It is
0: a horror movie. They, they definitely fulfill that.
1: Right, but it was also like, but it's a cop looking for a serial killer, but also the serial killer may be more monstrous than he predicted. And I was thinking this is going to be a human Who's in Hannibal serial killer mode where he's like, this is my grand work. I'm a, I'm a puppet master. Like I've been pulling these strings all along, but 20 minutes in, they're like teasing us. But I mean, I'll just jump ahead to like 40, 20 minutes from now at the 40 minute mark. Exactly. That's where we see a chunk of claw rip out an armored truck.
0: Oh, yeah. I remember that. So, yeah, there there's definitely some question as to the powers of this killer and well, what they really are.
1: 40 minutes into the movie, the movie goes, no, we are going to go there. We're not just going to tease you. We I are going I do like that.
0: There. And that. You know, know how I feel about so twists. Nice give it yeah. to us. Just give it to us. Don't, don't, don't like give us little tender morsels. We want the meal. Right. Uh, and and they do, they take a bite out of this movie pretty quickly. I think that you really see where things are going when, um, what is it? When stone presents to Durkin, that plaster of the bite marks. And he's like, does yes. this look human to you?
1: I thought that was like, that is such a great use of be cheesy genre. Very stuff. Like, because how how the hell do you get that that specific kind of casting out of that bite mark like i just it, if someone saw that they would think there's no way this is crazy you did something wrong but he holds it around in his pocket like this is proof that this crazy ass monster is out there and i need to stop it
0: Oh, redgar has gone full Ahab and Moby Dick here. He's he's obsessed yeah. with hunting the, the monster. And, and remember, he's psychically linked with the monster so he can feel his presence and hear his heartbeats. Um. So then Stone runs into Michelle, played by Kim Cattrall, in Ooh. one of those... What is it with women in dystopias wearing bobs? Why do all women in the future have bobs. I don't understand this impulse of movies to be shorthand for futuristic lady. Is that haircut?
1: I don't have an answer for you, but that sounds like something that could be like a YouTube video essay (laughs) that like someone could break it down and go like, yeah, this is why dystopian women all have bobs.
0: I'm just floating it out there into the internet pop detective if this gets to you figure it out for me why all women in the future have bobs Um, but anyway, so Michelle is there, they go home together, but they just chit chat and we get to see Stone's apartment and it's just such a scary place. Like, you know, you think about things that you don't want to go back to a guy's house and see like his mattress on the floor, but we're way beyond that with uh, Stone's apartment it's just filled with bags of old chocolate in the fridge and pigeons and rats everywhere. Well, and- also he <laughs>
1: keeps his gun in a fridge.
0: Well, yeah, that right? and he also has a curio cabinet or something <laughs> like that where he also has more guns and ammo. Uh so his place is just insane. Um but uh you know Michelle's into it. Um, and then the next day, Stone goes with Durkin to get some breakfast. And while they're gone, the steer- the serial killer—that's when he rips into the trunk to get the guns and stalks up to Stone's apartment while Michelle is taking a shower. Now, right before Michelle takes a shower, she's wandering around his apartment, and on the wall of his fridge, I think, are chocolates yeah. stuck to the wall in a heart shape and then she just takes one off the wall and eats it and i'm confused is this a future thing or did he really take like did he really take the cookies and stick them to the wall and she thought okay cool i'll eat one my best guess
1: is I'm that, obsessed you know,
0: with this scene by the way it's
1: yeah my best guess is, you know how in Blade Runner, there's a very big fusion between Eastern and Western, and he eats noodles. Rick Deckard eats noodles all the time. My best guess is that this is... I don't think cookie
0: wall cookies can't be a cultural thing. But the the, the Japanese and Asian cultures have different... I don't think there's snacks. any Asian cultures that have wall cookies. But, I need evidence.
1: But, like, if you look at what our future of snacks might be, you it would probably be one thing. But if you looked at what an Asian future of snacks might be, I mean, Asian candy can get pretty weird. I've had some weird, fun Asian candy, right? Like you open up these things and, the and you chocolate mix powders pops and together, and,
0: and like, yeah, there's there's lots of interactive things. But it just looks like he took those cookies that he eats every day and stuck them to the wall, and then she ate one. It is
1: endlessly fascinating that that was I, a, a a creative choice that was that they oh specifically went out of their way to make.
0: I I want to I want to keep talking about it, but I really have to move on. But wall cookies, just wall cookies. Uh Anyway, so Stone and Durkin rush back to the apartment because they're they're called back and they think that Michelle's in trouble. But actually, she's OK. And another girl down the hall is getting murdered. Stone rushes in. He has a shootout with the monster. He empties his clip but the killer still escapes and we find out from forensics that stone's old partner's dna was found at the scene and in fact it appears that the killer has a composite of every victim's dna what is this thing
1: we did did we mention that the partner got blasted out of the window
0: Oh, I don't remember that. I thought that at this point he was just like I'm going out on without you. Um, oh, he keeps is that leaving. Later? Yeah, he keeps leaving okay. Durkin behind. Durkin. Gotcha, Durkin hasn't gotcha. turned badass yet. Gotcha. Durkin. Durkin's still a baby face. Uh, so then, okay. So now we get this um, chase through the morgue where the oh. killer appears again, and now Durkin's starting to get a little bit more wild and. After right. after he faces off with the killer in the mort, that's when Durkin comes to Stone's way of thinking, and he starts to theorize that the killer is actually a monster slash demon, uh, and they decide to break out the big guns. They go into the armory, and they get all the biggest guns they can find. Right. And Durkin starts puffing cigarillos just like uh, Stone.
1: So the genius here is that Rutger Hauer already starts in the middle of the shit. He is physically and mentally in the shit, right? Anxiety,
0: caffeine, and chocolate, baby. Right,
1: he's in the, the, the jungle. And then his partner gets invited into the jungle, and he, as a skeptic, has to logically put the pieces together before then he is physically blasted away by the monster in which case he not only joins Rutger Hauer in his mission to kill it he joins Rutger Hauer full force in his I need to be wired and tense and on edge because this thing is fucking nuts and get out the big guns eat the chocolate drink the coffee smoke the cigarillos fucking all in big guns give it to me And so that jump from him just not only going, okay, that was a good turn for him. Yeah, it's fantastic. I love that kind of enthusiastic turn. And what it does is it allows us to be in on the inside joke. So later, when the police chief or the key guys are like, hey, you're crazy, we're like, no, you are the crazy ones. (laughs)
0: They know what's up. Yeah, I really I really like that turn for him. It, it reminds me of the thing you like to say, where um, the risk assessor becomes the risk taker. Yeah. Uh, and that's exactly what happens here. And because, it's, yeah, like you're saying, Rutger Hauer already went through the change before the movie started. It's very much an Ash,
1: Ash Evil Dead turn, where it's like, if once it's you're not just putting your tippy toes in you have been shoved into the pool and the only way to stay afloat is to go full badass i mean ash ash is thrown into the deep end in every single evil dead movie he's in and he just goes full badass he grabs his boomstick he revs up his chainsaw hand and goes nuts <laughs>
0: I like that, yeah. So, so now they're they're all buddy buddy. Like their their cop their cop relationship has been cemented, and they go back to Stone's place where the monster has left a little present in the fridge. Correct. Uh, spoiler alert: it's a heart. Uh, so things are getting personal. And while Stone is upstairs with Michelle, Durkin leaves in his jeep. Stone goes to find him. That's another fake out. The monster goes to the apartment and kidnaps Michelle. Uh, I don't know why the monster, well, I mean, I guess the monster is personally taunting Stone, but he decides that when it comes to Durkin and Michelle to tie up Durkin after he, you know, puts a little message on him and then to kidnap Michelle rather than to just kill them right away. Interesting choice for the killer. Um, so Durkin and Stone are able to figure out where the monster has taken Michelle and they end up in a showdown in the abandoned subway tunnels, very midnight meat train. Uh, and the three of them work together to take down the monster. And then in a very brett moment, Stone rips out the monster's still beating heart before shooting it point blank.
1: And the two sidekicks get to shoot the body. And explode they it into chunk like the end of Jaws, like it is chunkified. Um, yeah, great movie. I oh yeah. Love it.
0: Oh, and then the end as they're speeding away on a speedboat and they're having this buddy buddy trio moment back in the tunnels. We see air bubbles break the surface of the water, suggesting that the monster still lives.
1: Oh man, classic. Classic.
0: (laughs) Very classic. You always got to have a hook at the end, right?
1: Yeah. There's always got to be the, the, what about what's going to happen in the next movie? Right. That, that always gets a good reaction out of an audience. I I like hearing that. I don't like it when people ask me that, but I like hearing other people talk about it.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Oh yeah, I really did like the banter between Rudger Hauer and his partner. I think their relationship was definitely the best part for me.
1: Yeah, I agree, one hundred percent. I also have this. Um, I mean, this is a very machismo movie, but one of the things that we've mentioned before on the podcast is the the character type of the swinging dick.
0: Oh, Rudger Hauer's got a huge swinging D in this movie, but I. I'm
1: fascinated with his d in this movie because of how well he uses it. So I want to go through a few terms that I, that I'm gonna explain that are are like swinging dick but more versatile, right? So dick moves. I'm gonna talk about dick moves.
0: Oh wow, this is this is definitely a fascinating subject for me. Please go ahead. I, I came
1: prepared. Uh a Swinging Dick is Harley's relationship with Pete Postlethwaite, great character actor Pete Postlethwaite who plays the cop who's like you're too much of a loose cannon, Harley. You're oh gonna yeah, get he's great. Killed. Um and so, you know, the first Swinging Dick move is when he just takes the pen and swirls it.
0: What if puts he puts that pen in his mouth though?
1: It's a Swinging Dick move. He doesn't care. He's saying <laughs> that's right. I don't care. And then later, it's also a swinging dick move when the guy starts to raise his level of shit giving. Rucker Howard goes for that, you know, not just the throat grab, but that face smush, chin, cheeks, lips together grab. And he's like, mm-hmm. listen, fucker, shut it down. Shut up and shut down. I'm in control. And he just he he leaves it the, like there's no comeuppance for this guy because like, yeah, this guy's not wrong. Rucker Howard is a loose cannon, but it's also like stay out of my way um there's also moments where his dick hangs low he's got a low hanging <laughs> dick and i i want to compare this to his relationship with the chief there's that moment where the chief is like hey you are off the rails and Rucker Howard's just staring straight ahead and he's like he, it's like he's in the army and he's just giving a debrief he's recapping he's giving the facts and he's going listen i'm not crazy this is how it is and there's a moment where someone says like, you know, like he's like, "Oh, there's a giant monster." And they're like, "You think this is funny?" And he's like, "I'm not laughing." Like he he has a sense of humor, but he's not joking about the fact that there's a monster killing people. He does not find that funny. Uh he's got a little bit of a lusty dick because he shows he shows restraint in his love for Kim Cattrall at first. It's a very tragic relationship.
0: Right, he doesn't overstep. But then, in a moment
1: of weakness, he releases some of that tension to give her a quick kiss to say, hey, you almost died. I have to give you a quick kiss. Wow, that was crazy. There's nothing behind this other than just I need to express how much I care for you. And then later, like they just start doing like a full-on makeout scene, right? And there's like a a bigger kiss that's more of a lusty, like, we just killed the monster, and then they start making out, like, a tongue and everything.
0: I mean, of course they did. They they finally killed the monster that killed her husband and his friend.
1: So he released that tension of needing to act on pure survival mode, and now his restraint on respecting... The, the, the boundaries there is, is lowered, but also it's clear that she's also established.
0: Consent was established. She's
1: established pretty much the entire movie that she's okay with it. That she's like, whenever you're ready, come to me. Um, Also, we've got a nut grab. So you know, like this is like a wrestler. I didn't know he does a nut grab. Well, it's like a it's like a metaphorical nut grab. You know the DMX. You know the suck it kind of. You know when yes. you grab someone's when you grab your own nut. You know when you grab your own nuts, Shira. Like, when, like, Michael,
0: yeah, like so when Michael, like when Michael Jackson grabs his junk and screams. Yeah,
1: it, like that. It's like it, the, to me, the nut grab is when he says, "Hey, you got a pen." And then, cause we already know that he uses the pen to stir the coffee, but this time he's like asking permission. So it's kind of like, it's on you. And when he ties the shoes together, it's not just a funny Bugs Bunny prank. He offers the piece of offer- Sawyer thing, <laughs> right? He offers the breakfast as a peace offering and he, his, his tone changes with his partner. He's more willing to accept his partner's help in that moment. It's not a hundred percent both roads way but he's like listen i'm gonna talk to you like you're my partner here's breakfast here's a peace offering let's have an actual conversation but also i'm in charge here i'm gonna tie your shoes together to remind you of it so that's like a nut grab and then there's the ball itch which is when he (laughs) when he shoots the rat off of his partner's shoulders and leaves that giant hole behind that's him going or that's him going like all right yeah I got it or like when he shoots the targets (laughs) and he completely blows up the shooting targets because he's like listen I need this tension to live he's like scratching his balls he's like yeah I still got it and then the last one maybe my favorite is the helicopter dick (laughs)
0: like spinning the dick around
1: and that to me is like Arnold or Stallone. Like the 80s. Does it one- lift
0: them off the ground?
1: Yes. That is that is their primary mode of transportation. Uh, <laughs> to me, this is like 80s cheesy one-liners where when he says this could, this might not just be a demon raised from hell. This might be Satan himself. Well, Satan's in deep shit. Like just imagine Rucker Howard, like. Spinning his dick and going like, yeah, let's go. And like, I can fly, see it now. Flying to meet the monster. Like that that's kind of like a um who's who's the guy who did China Illinois? Brad Neely. Like, oh, I, I love could,
0: Brad Neely. I could
1: see I could see baby cakes flying with his dick, tail style, to go fight a crazy magic psychic monster. You know what I mean? Like I
0: know exactly what
1: you mean. <laughs> Satan's a deep shit. So, yeah, I thought this movie was very machismo. And by that, I mean lots of dick metaphors in there.
0: I really want you to continue to use these terms going forward. Like, if you spot them in the future movies we watch, don't hesitate to call them out. I want to know about every helicopter dick (laughs) moment going forward. And if I spot one, I will definitely say something because... That's not a term I'm forgetting.
1: And yeah, I, I like that. I've learned terms like Bellamy, and that's the one that sticks out the most. But other rom com terms for different kinds of grumpy
0: sunshine. We just yeah. talked about that one. Um. Also, I do want to talk about
1: one or two other things. Uh, <laughs> just this idea of the water rising in the post in the, in that dystopian sense where we are almost at a level of water world type. Po- like the difference it's between a half
0: and water world it's right. like it's, venice
1: it's like the difference between dystopia and post post apocalyptic that i mentioned it's like one is like we can still live in cities and the other is there is only water and that's all there is um and so that kind of has this idea that water is inescapable you can never escape the fear of danger and death Then there's a cool moment where they're at like a door for the bathroom and water starts rushing out. So now it's like the water, right, is more of an imminent threat. And then you've got the ring of light in the water and now they physically are in the immediate... Water is the immediate danger area and they can't break the light and they have to electrocute the water to kill the monster. I just like... That to me is just as good as anything that like an oscar movie metaphor is doing yes it's in a cheap b movie sci-fi silly movie where rucker howard survives on coffee candy and uh, chocolate and cigarettes but you know what i mean that level of care shows like that's the difference between a good b movie and a poor b movie (laughs)
0: Fair enough. I I just I I'm just fascinated by your passion for Split Second. I I enjoyed it, but the fire doesn't burn in me like it does in you. But
1: also here's the other difference is I probably would have enjoyed it and just come off as enthusiastic if I had watched it once. But because I watched it once and then was like I want to talk about it on the podcast, I watched it twice. So again, you've got that fifth element level Brett movie. The movie is for a fan of this movie. So you came into the movie not knowing what you were getting into. I came into the movie for the podcast knowing 100% what I was getting into.
0: That's a good point. I think that definitely if I had watched The Lobster twice, I'm sure that I would have a lot more to say about it because it's a pretty richly layered movie. Um, oh my God, I sound so pedantic. Um, but, but, but but it, but it's true. It, it's, I'm not, I'm not lying. Uh, but yeah, we, we do have to, to get this, uh, this dog and pony show on the road though. So I have to ask you the question. It might be an impossible question given how much you enjoyed this movie, but who did you have a crush on? Uh, did it change between viewings?
1: probably not no I, I i had a crush on Alistair duncan uh dick durkin that that definitely was
0: oh i love dick
1: he was the standout performance of like he's one of those actors who yeah i've never heard of him he might be in other stuff just not in my circles
0: he was adorable but yeah that's I, why I, I made him a lead in mine
1: i i fully support that and can't wait to hear your your version um but how about you I'm i'm kind of surprised that it's not him
0: I, you know, at first I thought it was going to be him, and then I just saw that ripped ass monster who yeah. basically looks just like Venom. We didn't mention this, but the Venom monster. Yeah, the monster is basically a mashup of Venom and Alien, and he kind of uh gives Rudger Hauer this caress. When he reveals himself and, you know, it's kind of erotic. He takes off his glasses.
1: What an intimate moment. You know what I mean? It's such an intimate threat to take off these glasses that aren't functional glasses. It's his layer to protect him from the world. It's the way, it's his filter to see things differently. And now he is forced to stare at the monster clearly and confront his psychic fear. Ugh.
0: Yeah, so the monster is this just, he's got great nails, he's into astrology, he's seven feet tall, and has washboard abs. What's not to love?
1: Um, oh shoot, what was I going to say? Oh, and I think there's only really one CGI-ish shot where he jumps out of the water, but the rest of it is practical effects so it looks you know great. how it's i love a, practical I effects really well
0: he looks cool they yeah. i mean i don't know who they got to wear the monster suit but he's he's big and tall and he, he looked great
1: yeah i think i want to second the idea and compliment of giving this movie the idea that it's like a creative adrenaline boost
0: It was. It actually was. Yeah, because after
1: I watched this movie, especially for the second time, I spent more of my time working on my own personal projects than the silly Necromancer remixes. Um, So I I made more progress in my own work, which took away the time that I, I had to do for the podcast. But because of that, because I took the Roger Corman approach, which was... 15 minutes, go get it done. It actually turned out pretty fun.
0: Nice. I'm glad that it gave you the creative juice. Yeah. Uh, so who should go first?
1: I think you should go first because I want to hear more about Dirk, Dick Durkin.
0: Uh, Dick, the, the romance between Harley Stone and Dick Durkin that was meant to be uh i called my movie a second of sunshine but i'm Um, open to changes uh and it's kind of it's like a romantic version of hot fuzz
1: okay off the top of my head just the the sunshine second kind of like the golden hour maybe i don't know we'll we'll hold on to it in our back pocket (laughs)
0: Oh yeah, no, and maybe as as you hear the movie you'll have ideas for what what the uh the actual title should be versus the working title. Mm-hmm. Uh so we've got Harley Stone, he's a hard-bitten cop who receives a rude awakening when he's transferred from London to a cozy English village after he makes the mistake of sleeping with his chief's wife. Ugh. And then Harley's new partner, Dick Durkin, isn't too happy about the arrangement either, as he finds Harley to be grumpy and mean. And Harley hates Dick's sunshine demeanor and finds his bookish expertise to be annoying. And they acquired the nicknames Mr. Grumpy and Mr. Sunshine around the station. Uh, but then... Did you already
1: have Mr. Grumpy and
0: Mr. Sunshine? Were those I the actually, names you around? I actually had Stormy and Sunny, but I decided I liked Mr. Grumpy and Mr. Sunshine better.
1: Okay. I I, I thought that, that that was a good choice to change that. I like how well you just adopted that.
0: Oh, well, when thing. I heard it, I was like, oh, yeah. my God, that's so much better than Stormy <laughs> and Sunny. It sounds so cute. Mr. Grumpy and Mr. Yeah. Sunshine are yeah. here. And you can just imagine their coworkers making fun of them. Right. It's perfect. Um, But then harley and dick come upon a gruesome crime scene this is a she-ra movie brett did you think i would do it any other way
1: oh my god when the (laughs) moment the lobster started and i was like holy shit this movie is gonna like the more the the violence in the movie escalated the more i was like this movie was written for (laughs) she-ra
0: It really was. But you see, the thing is, like, I don't like torture porn. I don't like misery. I like people to experience pain and suffering and hope for love anyway. And to to find these pockets of happiness or this will to innocently survive and and hope that the next day is going to be better, there's an innocence about those characters that's really endearing, unlike I think, say, something like Friends with Kids, where people are just unrelenting in their cruelty and judgment of each other. There's no, there's no sunshine to go with the violence. Uh, so I, I think that for me, I aspire to a balance. I don't look away from the harshness and the cruelty of life. But I think that there's just as much sweetness to go with the bitter.
1: Yeah. I I think that's very well said.
0: So anyways, gruesome crime scene, Uh, a young man with his chest open and his heart missing. And there are also significantly hoof prints at the scene. Maybe we get some horse jokes at this point.
1: Oh, yeah. Uh, The killer left in a hurry. You could say he really (laughs) hoofed it (laughs) out (laughs) of here.
0: People can't see the fact that you slid your glasses up at that moment to be very CSI. uh, Yeah, I put on
1: my Miami sunglasses.
0: Yeah, you were very Caruso in that moment. Um, so this case kind of brings them together because they they start to get over their mutual dislike as they solve what's happening, uh, because they they find a second person with no heart after the fir- first. And the same thing, hoof prints at the scene. Uh, and maybe at this point, because Durkin's the sweet one, he starts to fall for Stone because he learns that there's more to Stone than just his t- tough, exterior. Like how Stone loves sweets. He really loves sugar and cupcakes and cookies and chocolate. Uh, and maybe Durkin at some point while they're up all night looking at evidence, he gives Stone a massage and it, it's like a sexy touch. Uh, and maybe Stone drops at this point or some point that he's actually bisexual. Bisexual representation for the win. I loved uh, in The Lobster that they were like, "Uh, no, you can't be bisexual in our society. You have to choose. That, and I say, why choose?
1: <laughs> I, I, I love that moment in The Lobster, though. I mean, we'll talk about it. But yeah, just that idea of like, it caused too many complications. Like the paperwork involved would just be too much. So, you know what? Yes or no, black or white. That was funny. But also I think it's very cool because my movie doesn't just deal with, uh, like homosexuality, but it has a bisexual character too. Oh, so I think that like the, 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 Prospect of DNA infusion and mind and bodies and melding and flexibility and friendship. Very
0: pansexual idea. Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's that's interesting.
0: And then maybe they bond too with Durkin helping Stone clean his apartment. Maybe maybe Stone lives in a converted abbey where there's a bunch of pigeons everywhere and it's just all you know and it's it's silly and it's dumpiness um and then they share a chocolate cake that Durkin bakes so Durkin's getting all these feelings uh but then the next day after their playful night together Durkin overhears Stone mocking him to the other policemen particularly Durkin's theory that the killer might be a puka which is from Irish legend a shape-shifting horse demon. Uh, So Durkin then confronts Stone for being a douchebag and Stone starts to feel terrible because he's starting to realize that Durkin knows his stuff and Durkin may seem like a pushover, but he confronts him and he stands up for himself and a man like Stone with a long hanging dick He respects this kind of thing. And he finds he's kind of attracted to this side of Durkin. Um, And he then finds out just how wrong he is when he finds one of the missing hearts with a big monster bite taken out of it. And that's when Stone realizes.
1: (laughs) I I can just imagine someone holding up a plaster of like we analyzed the bites of this heart. Here's what its mouth looks like. And it's just these big ass Mr. Ed teeth. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes. If it literally looks like a horse mouth and he <laughs> says, holy shit. Oh my God. Durkin was right the whole time. Right. And, and he realizes that, And so we get the third oh. act rom-com oh. chase
1: okay so again this movie is inspiring that adrenaline pump of of creativity before he gets the confirmation of the tooth cast maybe he's maybe uh dick dick durkin has split up right you gotta have the split up so yeah they split
0: he insulted him deeply
1: yeah they were supposed to go to the grocery store and pick out some cakes and sweets but then he insulted him and confronted him so now dick durkin's gonna take the bus home And Rucker Hauer, Harley, is going to go pick up his sweets all alone. But before he goes into the store, he sees like a little kid riding one of those vending machine motorized horses. (laughs) That's perfect. And he discovers, oh, the one thing that Dick is missing to put all the pieces together is because he has this tunnel vision. He doesn't see it from this other point of view. But now that Harley misses Dick... Harley misses Dick. Hey. <laughs> now that Harley misses Dick, he's like, "Oh, now I see it through his eyes." He rushes back to the precinct. They say, "Hey, here's these horse teeth," and and so now not only does he physically have proof, right? You got to have faith before you have physical proof. Um, that's a that's a big distinction, I think, for a character right. like that.
0: Right. So this is kind of a role reversal where it's uh, right. it's Stone who's the doubter and Durkin who's the believer. Um, but Stone, he suddenly he gets it. He believes Durkin and he's got to get to Durkin so he can apologize and confess his feelings. It's a twofer. Yeah, Uh, And as he's walking up to Durkin's cottage, because of course Durkin has a cottage, uh, he hears a scream. So then Stone runs into the cottage, and he is shocked to find Durkin cornered by none other than a fucking unicorn. Just like Dr. Fibes. Exactly. Golden unicorn. (laughs) So now we get a fight scene. And for some reason, this is where my creative juices really started flowing for an actual scene scene. So Stone shoots his gun at the unicorn and it hisses, but doesn't retreat. So the unicorn makes very weird sounds. Uh, and then Durkin shouts at stone to leave while he can. It just wants me says Durkin. And then stone is still trying to kill the unicorn as he gets closer to Durkin. He says, why? And then Durkin, cause he's the explainer. He explains I was wrong. The killer wasn't a puka. I should have seen the signs. The victims were all virgins. That's what they eat virgin hearts and just then the unicorn charges and stone used the coffee table as a shield and of course the unicorn's horn goes right through it and almost stabs stone in the chest but all stone can say is you're a virgin durkin uh, and so they're having this whole this whole reconciling conversation as they're fighting the unicorn. Uh, and Durkin goes to help him fight, and he says, "That's not of your business." And then Stone says, "Well, what if I want it to be?" as he's reloading his shotgun?
1: Wait, uh, so the horse, the unicorn charged Durkin and
0: so so the unicorn had cornered Durkin. Uh, and then Stone started firing at the unicorn, and by the time Stone got to Durkin, the unicorn began to charge, but then it was hit by, Stone uses the coffee table. and Right, so, so what I'm saying is the,
1: the unicorn targets Durkin, and then Stone pushes him out of the way with the table and, and stops the attack. Right, okay. Stone.
0: Stone uses himself as a human shield because he's the hey, kind yeah. of fighter who throws his entire body at an opponent to protect his friend. Yeah, uh, it's or his good, lover. It's a
1: good touch because I'm involved in the story, so I, I'm I'm in it. But I didn't know if if the unicorn charged uh, charged Stone first. But I like that he 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 attacks the guy and then he has to save him, and then there's this back and forth go ahead
0: right right I, I like I like the idea of having a reconciliation scene during an action scene. It just yeah. seems like fun uh, so then of course, it's like, that's none of your business. what if I want it to be? Durkin runs to stone spot while stone covers him with gunfire before he says what? And then Stone puts it very simply because he's Rudger Hauer and he's got that swing in D. He says, I'm in love with you as he uses himself as a human shield and manages to one shot, kill the unicorn. And then they kiss. That's
1: that's what we call the dick flop. (laughs) He's flopping it out there and saying, Hey, if you want it, it's all yours, baby.
0: It was definitely a dick flop moment. I can't argue with you there at all. Uh, And they kiss as rainbow colored unicorn blood rains down on them. And then when they break away, Stone says, I I could workshop this, but maybe he said something like, how does nobody know how evil unicorns are? And maybe Durkin says something like, oh, pro unicorn propaganda, I suppose. Uh, or I don't know. We we'll workshop it. There there yeah, has we'll to be shopping. there has to be a um, as you say helicopter dick moment where after he headshots the unicorn he has to say something badass. I just don't I, know what it is. I think he says
1: the helicopter dick moment as the unicorn is staring them down or or something. I think you should end on the nobody's perfect. Lady Eve equivalent of like something cute. I think there needs
0: to be a cute
1: little.
0: I just said Stone apologizes to Durkin for not believing him. Durkin accepts the apology and then gives Stone maybe a come hither look as he says, let's go take a shower. Yeah. And then they're going to bone in the shower, obviously.
1: Right. I mean, yeah, we'll just have to set up showers earlier in the movie to make it a cuter comeback.
0: Yeah. I, yeah. It, we, that's something that I would definitely work on. There has to be kind of a, a nobody's perfect sign off, but again, Brett like, style, I want the resolution to happen quickly and right. powerfully.
1: Yeah. I totally hear you on that. Yeah. That's a great movie. I was in it, man.
0: Second of sunshine. Second of sunshine.
1: Um Yeah. I don't, I don't have a, a name for you, but we'll come up with one. That'll be that might be a late addition. I just
0: you know I don't do twists, but I just thought it would be really funny if the killer turned out to be a unicorn. That idea really seized me.
1: Yeah, you. I I recommended Gloryhammer on one. This 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 episode is a mega love bite reference for me because I'm just referencing all my old love bites. (laughs) Um, Gloryhammer, yeah, like one of their first songs is about a, a herd of unicorns that's been corrupted by an evil wizard. And they're attacking a town.
0: It tracks.
1: Yeah. I think that's a niche tool that is well used. Um, I developed my entire premise based off of the title of my movie.
0: Oh, interesting. Which I called, I,
1: I called the title of my movie Second Split.
0: <laughs> oh, Second Split. Like a banana split, but Second Split
1: second split so here here's here we go right we have harley and michelle they're lovers but they're in they're of course in this dystopia world i guess but um they're lovers but they 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 seem to be more like an uh, elaine and jerry right so like they get along really well and they're kind of romantic but we see as the relationship dissipates but we cram all that into like a ten minute up style sort of breakdown of the romance. But it's I get not, what you're coming from. It's it's in a positive light, right? It's not like like those marriage movies where you have to sit through two hours of a complete depressing breakdown of a relationship. This is just like shots
0: fired at marriage story. Yeah.
1: That's what I was thinking, even though I've never seen it. (laughs) I didn't want to name names. Um, But yeah, so it's like that. So they split up, but it's totally amicable. They, They remain friends. And so I want to give them a reason for splitting up for, for non sexual reasons, which is, but it they pair up with a partner, right? So for Harley, I'm thinking maybe he's like a photographer at work. So I'm dropping the cop angle and he's a photographer and he has a, a muse who he spends more time with than his wife. Oh. But there's no there's no tension there because he's getting benefits from both his wife and his muse. It just so happens that the muse is providing more in a different way. And he's like, listen, I'm really getting good at photography. And in order to do that, I need to spend time with this other woman. So she says, you know, I'm actually into this other lifestyle. Like I'm into this very intimate lifestyle. I want to have like a cozy cabin in the woods somewhere and have 24 seven contact with one person who we just read from our collection of books. And that's all we do is we read in the same room together. And then we sip wine and talk about our day and, and just one person for me all the way. And so they can't have that together. So what she does is because this is the dystopian future, we've got this like Akira style, maybe sort of like animatronic stuffed animal butler companion.
0: Oh, interesting. That's kind of
1: creepy. We've got this like black mirror type weird butler companion, but it's not sexual, right? Like she's just like, I just want someone to spend time with. So she spends time with this robot who gives her companionship and it's in like a cute way. It's in a cuddly way, but, but her, (laughs) her, um, her stuffed animal robot, Butler companion breaks down. It has like a software glitch and breaks down and his muse gets signed on by a different agency And so her contracts get warped and so he can no longer take pictures of her. So now they both don't have the thing that specifically caused them to split up. So they console in each other, they get back together and now they go to this monster. That's like a a weird monster creature from split second. And the monster is able to let them like suck on his fingers and so then they, they Wait, have this... Wait,
0: what does sucking on his fingers do?
1: Well, because if, if she sucks does on... Does he like, have is, dick is... fingers? We can make it very H.R. geiger yes. <laughs> um, if she sucks on his right finger and he sucks on his left finger, the index finger, what that does is it creates this... A- you know how in Avatar they, they hook their braids up together? It creates oh, yeah. this Avatar Cronenbergian naked lunch physical DNA swap, um uh, uh demolition man, you know, in demolition man how they have sex with the headsets. Like it, it creates this. Oh weird yeah, thing.
0: Barbarella too. Where yeah, They just stare
1: at each other. So it's like now they're able to communicate their wants and needs together and work out the problems together because they don't have these third party temptations pulling them away. But also they have this psychic connection to boost and amplify their um (laughs) their connection to each other so now we go
0: they're in a polyamorous relationship with venom
1: no he's just like a therapist he's he's just like a a one and done hey i provide this service here you go and then they merge and then they they have a very good so basically they become the super couple now, here's where things really kick off. And we're getting into Hitcher style every 20 minutes. We're going there. The, the, the stuffed animal butler companion factory has a hiccup, and her robot reboots Westworld style into the body of another like teddy bear. And then the teddy bear becomes obsessed with, I need to provide Michelle comfort. And his way of doing that is very AI, dystopian, uh, I am, uh, I robot level of like, I need to kidnap her, put her in a dollhouse and give her this specific desire of a cabin in the woods with no one around in this completely intimate companionship. So the teddy bear kidnaps Michelle and takes her away. And Rutger Hauer is now forced into this red tape bureaucracy where he has to take a picture of his muse with a certain rare animal because we all know in dystopias like blade runner animals are rare so now he's got to go on a goose chase around the city finding this rare animal to cap to photograph and she's got to find clues as to where this cabin in the woods is but the thing is they're psychically connected So now they get to help each other and give each other clues, you know, like leaving little notes here and there, but instead of leaving written notes, they leave little psychic notes. Like maybe she leaves him candies with different, like, you know, coconut, like, Oh, she must be in a tropical place, something like that. Um, and then at the end he gets the animal, he saves her all is happy. They beat the bad guys. They win like, boom, (laughs) that's it. That's all I got for you. But just this idea of like breaking up, coming together, being even stronger, and then having that second split up that's forced. But that second split up actually draws you closer together because now you're not just physically connected. You are psychically and spiritually connected. You're communicating via a distance. Um, So nothing can pull them apart. That's it. That's what I got. (laughs)
0: I like it. I like that you had them merge Dragon Ball Z style.
1: Wait, no, they don't. Physically oh, wait, they merge don't physically
0: merge. They just—they just, they, they can't they, turn into a super version of
1: themselves combined. They maybe they can at the very end, right? Maybe the animal. And the the robot monster team up to create a mega monster, and then they fuse Dragon Ball Z style to become one. I'm I'm all for that, but I was thinking they just have a psychic telepathic connection. Like
0: ah okay, like okay. they're the
1: ultimate couple because it's like almost, your name. Wait 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 no, no no it's like Nick and Nora. I wrote this down in my in my notes. It's like Nick and Nora. You know how Nick and Nora seem to have this psychic connection. When Mm -hmm. Nick confronts that daughter of the guy who was killed and Nora walks in on him, confronting this crying girl by hugging her, her immediate reaction is just to go, hey, this guy's looking for you. And he says, I'll be there in a minute. And she sticks out her tongue and he like gives her a little wink. And like that kind of psychic connection.
0: Yeah, they get they get each other. Right. Or like the psychic connection in our next movie where they have an entire language.
1: Yes, just like that. That's exactly what I'm talking about. They have Okay, that. okay, yay, yay, I get yay, it. Yay.
0: That's cute.
1: So, yeah, it this is very much an anime movie <laughs> because I like having anime. robot butlers and having weird HR Geiger psychic David Cronenberg monsters, mixing those two things is like that's the kind of thing that only anime could do or Cute and scary. In a very rare circumstance. Like that's that's the rare live action type anime that like my love bite is going to be similar to.
0: Awesome. Well, let's get into it. Now, before we give you our love bites, our recommendations for the week, just want to remind you that you can find us on all the social medias, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, as well as email us at necromancerpodcast at gmail.com. We would love to hear all of your thoughts about helicopter dicks and HR Geiger and um, oh, what were we talking about earlier that I was like, uh, oh, yeah, um, what the pop detective should cover next, which is definitely women in the future always having bobs.
1: Yeah, dystopian haircuts.
0: Yeah, dystopian haircuts. Top five
1: dystopian haircuts.
0: It deserves at least 10 minutes. Uh, and, and yeah, please hit us up, rate us, follow us and like us wherever you listen to your podcasts. Now then, on to our dystopian love bites. What do you want to recommend this week, Brett? Uh, Well, I already
1: name-dropped it earlier in the podcast, but Nemesis. Both of these movies are on Amazon Prime, and I watched both of them back-to-back. And again, when we're talking about that idea of this being a Missing Link movie, of it being a movie that was inspired by other movies that came before it I love, that has since-inspired movies that I love, and finding it as a hidden gem. Another very, very niche aspect that can essentially only apply to me as a specific filmmaker is movies or games or music that inspired Violence of the Sun without me having seen it first. So I don't know what episode I recommended Mega Man Zero Two in as a love bite, but I specifically drew many observations I had that I put for that from when I played that game that were like, holy shit, I played this game after making my short film Violence of the Sun. And yet there were so many things that were similar that it like there's no way you could say I didn't watch or play this game before I made this movie, because there's just way too much similar, but it was like, it's just Mega Man 2 had such a influence in the things that I it had such a ripple effect that I was able to be influenced via second party recommendations. Um, and that's how nemesis was, man. Watching nemesis is like, Holy shit. This, if, if this movie is like a proto matrix, Nemesis is the blueprint for Ghost in the Shell and The Matrix. It is a direct ancestor. It is the granddaddy of those movies. Um,
0: Oh, my movie has a a Ghost in the Shell connection, too.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, again, if this movie sounds... If you've made it this far and this movie sounds anything... Like it's anything good to you, then Nemesis will be better in a, in a in a crank level bat shit insanity way better
0: i like any comparison to crank
1: yeah give me that chinese shit adrenaline or die um how about you what's your love bite
0: so i you know when i was thinking of dystopian movies to recommend a movie that i watched multiple times growing up came to me I grew up in Dallas, and if you are a Dallas native and you're listening to this podcast, you may remember a little place called Premiere Video. This was a great place to go in the the heyday of renting physical movies because they had they had stuff that nobody else had, foreign movies that I'd never heard of, and then they would even take the extra step of renting foreign DVD players to you if you didn't have a compatible DVD player for a movie because. That used to when movies were physical, that was a problem. If you that wanted was to watch thing, yeah yeah, if you wanted Region to watch an inter- yeah, exactly. if you wanted to watch an international movie, then it wasn't always possible, and we just happened one day to see the cover of this movie. it was called Avalon it's from two thousand and one, and without knowing anything about this movie, we watched it and loved it. But it is a movie with Polish actors and a Japanese director, the same director as the original Ghost in the Shell movie. And it focuses on a futuristic female with a bob who is an elite solo player of a virtual reality video game uh, anime fans. If you are fans of sword art online and the spin gun Gale online, it's basically gun Gale online where it's, it's kind of like if a counter strike was hyper realistic uh, and she wants to find the location of this secret level where if you, because it's an immersive virtual reality game, if you die in the level, you're comatose in real life. That's it. You can't log out. And she's searching for that level. That's the the plot of the game. And it has a uh, side benefit of this adorable Basset Hound where throughout the movie, Ash, of course, her name is Ash, the lead female character, eats hardly anything and is kind of wasting away because she's just constantly plugged into this online game. Meanwhile, she's serving her basset hound these fancy dinners and making sure that he's well attended to.
1: Yeah, that sounds like me and my cats. <laughs>
0: exactly. I, I think, Brett, you would love Avalon. That sound, And, I mean, you're mentioning
1: stuff like the Polish actors with the Japanese anime director. Like, that's... And, and you're mentioning it specifically as a dystopian-type movie because of this movie. I mean, Blade Runner, Split Second, Nemesis, Johnny Mnemonic, The Matrix, Ghost in the Shell, all of these are cyberpunk, which have extremely strong like spiritual combinations
0: yes this movie is very philosophical it's inception before inception
1: yeah it's not only spiritual mixings but it's like a mix of spiritual and technological philosophizing of eastern and western cultures um and yeah so i think that's an i mean yeah i think the cyberpunk type subgenre is one that I could very much get into that I would like to get into more. Um, Probably not going to play that game, but that's all right. (laughs) I'll take Horizon (laughs) Zero Dawn over Cyberpunk 2077.
0: I I definitely would. Uh, I
1: like like third-person shooters. I don't like that first-person stuff.
0: Yeah, I'm pretty much the same way. So I guess that is it for today. Dystopia later.